Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, keeping you across the biggest news in the world of TV. Last week, the Dyson Inquiry found Martin Bashir guilty of forging documents to gain access to Princess Diana for his explosive 1995 Panorama interview. I'm joined by Broadcast BBC reporter Mats Goldbart, who gets into the weeds of the scandal and offers insights into the long-term impacts on the corporation. Later on in the podcast, I catch up with We Are Lady Parts creator Nida Manzor. All that, plus a little bit of what we've been watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So welcome, Max. How have you been? Yeah, great, thanks. Great, thanks. Glad to be here as ever. Uh, I'm really good. The the sun is shining through the window to my right. So um, The sun is shining. Yeah, I've moved location just to be nearer to the window. Yeah. How are your plants? Yeah, plants are doing pretty well. I think they've also enjoyed a bit of sunshine today. They're looking a bit perkier. It's crucial, crucial weather for the plants. But it has been rubbish all of May, so maybe it's starting to get better now. That's yeah, good. I think the world owes us it. <laughs> it does. It really does, doesn't it? Um, well, Max, so it's been a bit of a big week for you. You've been pretty busy. It's been a bit of a whirlwind with all the Martin Bashir fallout. Um, I wondered quickly if you could kind of summarise if you thought the the fallout that happened was expected or it was a bit out of the blue? Yeah, yeah. Um, good question. I, I think most people are familiar with what has happened. And it's something that's kind of cropped up in the news on and off for the past 20 years or so. I think one thing that maybe isn't getting remembered so well at the moment is that, like, all of these allegations have been made they've been brought up by the tabloids at various points. There was a, a, an attempted freedom of information request in 2007 that was denied by the people at the top of the BBC back then, which campaigners believe would have unearthed this, obviously, almost 15 years before the, the Dyson report from last week. So, so it's, it's been quite, quite frequently co- cropped up. But I, I have been surprised at the depth of feeling and the level of which this has dominated the news cycle so I think that's calmed down a bit we're recording on Thursday the 27th of May Dominic Cummings did his thing yesterday so that was always going to knock this like clean off clean off the park but uh, over the weekend all of the front pages of of the main newspapers were were devoting space to this scandal on Friday as well and, and then earlier earlier into this week and and a lot of that a lot of that is about what the princes said, Harry and William, famously. Uh, a lot of that is about what's coming next. And a lot of that is about some comments from s- some very senior politicians pertaining to, to failings at the BBC. But I didn't, think, I didn't think it would occupy column inches in the way it has. But, but what, did you, what did you make of it? Anyway, like the, seeing the um, BBC being splashed across all the front pages, like I suppose, did you expect that it would garner this amount of media interest? I think it's one of those times where it's like anything connected to Diana is just explosive Mm. in the British press. So I think from that aspect. I think that's where I was a bit naive. It's almost like, I suppose my my attitude was prior to what Prince William said. But if you've got Prince William, like quite implicitly accusing the BBC of contributing to his mum's death, which is probably the the biggest news story of our like generation of the past like three or four decades, then it's it's really no no surprise that that it was absolutely everywhere. So this all came, about six months ago, Diana, Princess Diana's brother Earl Spencer, kind of re restarted 
this battle to get the truth from the the interview from 1996 uh, and the ways the deceptive means by which Martin Bashir secured that interview and I Tim Davey had only just started as director general and I sort of thought that he might just try and bat it away almost but he didn't he was very plain about the need for a report and I might come on to this later but I think I think Tim Davey's response this week has, has been good and has been roundly praised but but when he commissioned that report I again didn't expect it would be such a big deal and then last week that was leaked to the Telegraph a few hours before it was published and there's just been this enormous frenzy and I think there's been quite a lot of misinformation floating around some misunderstandings but there are clearly some other questions that need to be answered going forwards. It's, it's not just going away. And yeah, this is a really, really big test for the leadership of Tim Davey and the new chair as well, Richard Sharp, who started even more recently than Tim. Yeah, so what, what's the kind of crux of the issue now that the BBC is facing? Kind of, that was last week. What um, What is kind of next steps? Mm, mm. So there are a few a few actions that have already been taken. So clearly... Clearly, this took place such a long time ago, nearly 25 years ago. It's something that the BBC has very easily been able to say our editorial practices, our governance, our regulation have been overhauled (laughs) since since, uh, that interview took place. Just as one example, there used to be this thing called the BBC Trust, which... Uh, kind of kind of marked its own homework in a sense that BBC Trust has, has been kind of damned to history uh, as something that was far too internal and was far too much of an example of an organisation marking its own homework. And now Ofcom is the regulator of the BBC and Ofcom is a totally separate thing to the BBC. So the idea is that this could really, this shouldn't have ever been allowed to happen, but it wouldn't have happened if Martin Bashir had been trying to do this today. So the BBC has been able to bat that away quite quickly, but there are other questions that need to be answered. There's an independent inquiry has been launched by three members of the BBC board. These aren't people employed by the BBC, but they sit on what's called like a unitary board, which is mostly made up of non-executive directors. So that's being led by a guy called Nick Sorota. That should report back in September. And then next year is the midterm charter review. So that's when the government looks into these areas like governance, regulation, et cetera, and sees if they're fit for purpose. So the midterm charter review can't examine the really big things. It won't set the BBC's funding model. It won't set out if the BBC's mission is going to change in any way. But it can look at exactly this sort of thing, governance and regulation. I think the worry, the BBC's worry is that the government will use that midterm charter review to try and install like an, what's being called like an independent editorial board. And I, I was writing about this earlier this week. That board could be formed within the next couple of years because this midterm charter review is in place. And that would basically mean like a team of people who have absolutely nothing to do with the BBC overlooking the BBC's journalism and making sure it, it remains in check. So that's something that could actually probably won't happen relatively soon. I would say the likelihood is is quite low, but... That is a thing that can happen. So these two reviews are going are gonna to both be taking place over the next couple of years. But in the next couple of days, we should be hearing back about why Martin Bashir was allowed to be rehired in 2016. I think that's a really big question for the BBC to answer and one that it's going to find it difficult to answer. So in another roundly praised move by Tim Davey he's ordered an even quicker review into why Bashir was rehired and the more you look into it the the, the more it stinks a little bit like Martin Bashir 
left the BBC in 2000, Channel 4 revealed a few weeks ago that the, somebody from the BBC then contacted his new employer, ITV, to complain about his conduct. And that was back in 2000. And he was also, something that I completely missed was that Martin Bashir was also fired by MSNBC for making some really, really nasty comments about Sarah Palin, of all people. That was in 2013. So the idea that three years after that, he was rehired by the BBC is definitely a problem. So a politician, Julian Knight, in the Commons the other day was saying that the, the BBC's head of news gathering at the time, Jonathan Munro, welcomed Bashir's reappointment with excitement. Apparently, there wasn't really much of an interview process. So it's kind of like this guy who had, by deceptive means, achieved this Diana interview, which was his crown and glory. That Diana interview subsequently had a botched investigation. And then Bashir had gone on to have serious conduct issues over a period of 15 years why he was allowed to be rehired is a big question and one that the public should know about next week if Tim Davey is to be believed yeah and what, what do you anticipate the findings of that report to be I, I have actually I have actually no idea like I think it, it could almost land the BBC back on the front pages like at the moment it's being led by a guy called Ken Macquarie who is about to leave the BBC actually he, he's um uh, head of nations and regions but he's sort of digging through old hr records and looking for looking for like evidence of interviews at the time but i think if it's found that there wasn't really an interview process this this could put the bring the story back to the back to the front almost i think it could be a little bit of an issue for the bbc but again it's something fair play they're addressing head on i think tim davy has come out quick and has seemed like he's on top of everything like it's it's installed quite a lot of confidence and obviously if this had come out before he while Tony Hall was still in it would have been a completely Mm. different matter but I think because the timing of Tim Davey now being in place it, it it feels like the crisis can be a bit more managed definitely the cynic would say it's almost good for him isn't it it's like he's been in post a few months he has an opportunity to completely break with the past but he does not have to take any of this responsibility. He didn't work for the BBC in the mid-90s. I mean, Tony Hall has just had to resign from his new job, which is absolutely nothing to do with broadcasting. He was the chair of the National Gallery, but clearly felt the depth of feeling around this is so strong that he couldn't even continue doing that post. So yeah, you're right. Like, had this happened a year ago, he was, I think he'd already announced he was leaving a year ago, but he'd certainly have had to leave straight away. Or had this happened two years ago, that would have been the end of him. He'd have had to resign within probably a matter of hours. The timing of this whole situation is isn't great for the BBC. I don't know if you could kind of speak to, to speak to that a bit more. Yeah, I I think the the timing of something like this is is never going to be good, but is particularly bad now. But mainly because of so the, the, we've got that midterm charter review coming up. But even before then, the li- the setting of the license fee for the next five years is being decided upon. And although I I did stress earlier and the main politicians in the DCMS are at pains to stress that none of this is going to affect the license fee. The fact is the BBC is still plastered over all the front pages with dreadfully negative headlines and again is being called out by the royals. So in that way, the timing is bad. The timing is also bad because the BBC news team is undergoing a really significant restructure and hundreds of people are losing their jobs um, and a whole bunch of them are about to have to move out of London. So there's the the across the UK plan is going to be enacted early next year. So this is huge change for the BBC's news divisions. They're moving as well from 
what's called a program led to a theme led structure. And hence, lots of people are losing their roles. And I was speaking for a piece to a couple of quite senior people who work within the BBC News teams who manage people. And they, they, they said morale is really low at the moment. I mean, watching it play out, you know, it was such a long time ago. And you're thinking it's, it's, I, you would feel sad if it was kind of your department getting a lot of flack for something that happened so long ago when you think these things must be happening. It's kind of like thinking back to like news of the world style. It wasn't on the same kind of calibre. I think if you put yourself in the shoes of a senior BBC News journalist or editor, it just feels a little bit like the axe is falling upon them, like they're being blamed. Absolutely nothing to do with. I'm sure the vast majority of them weren't employed by the BBC 25 years ago. And I think there is a concern from them that future investigative journalism that the BBC does is under threat. This is impacting their ability to do their job in the way that they would like to. And so there are, so again, really poor bit of timing in that regards. And I'm sure they are very much looking forward to this dipping off the agenda a little bit. A uh, third terrible element to the timing was a much less picked up piece of news that came out last week. But again, is, is nonetheless like in a way more impactful for the BBC's future, which was a, a really damning report from the Public Accounts Committee about the place that the BBC finds itself in at the moment. So that report, it's, it's, it's odd because I watched a, a few weeks ago, I watched the session for which Tim Davey was speaking to the Public Accounts Committee and they normally get a bit of a grilling, but it seemed to be going quite well for him. And he was with Charlotte Moore and he was with the, the chief financial officer of, of the BBC. But this, this report, which came out basically like an hour after the Bashir, the Lord Dyson report into Bashir, is critical of everything the BBC is doing at the moment. It's giving an absolute hammering. So the Nations and Regions plan, the Across the UK plan that I referenced, was branded contradictory and muddled. And the, the, the committee basically <laughs> had to go at the BBC for firing a bunch of people with the left hand and then saying they're going to hire a bunch of people with the right and, and asked for, for things to be made much clearer. But even stuff like T Tim Davey wants to increase commercial returns by 30% for, for the BBC over the next five years. And, and that even, even that target was hammered as not being enough. The BBC was criticised for ducking the hard choices over cuts to, to content. And all, in all of these areas, it was told that it has to provide more information or give more to the committee so it's um i think in a way once as i say once this once the Bashir fallout calms down a bit this might be seen as a little bit more of a problem there's loads of stuff here that that the bbc needs needs to address i think there's a big battle ahead earlier this month i spoke to we are lady parts creator nina manzor for this month's broadcast cover story we chatted about her Jackie Chan obsession, being part of a new generation of diverse talent and her next projects. I'm, you know, a big action fan. So I, I'm quite excited about making an action movie. Um, you know, genre for me is fun. Like, you know, that's why playing playing in the Doctor Who world was so fun. Mm. And like looking at sci-fi and, and those kinds of, using sort of big genre to tell maybe smaller stories of sort of underrepresented sort of groups where, you know, I'm part of so it, that's what's what kind of excites me and the thing is comedy is always something I love so I'm always looking to to you know to do more comedy write more comedy what could have been your like main influences in terms of you were talking about comedy uh, comedy but then also action as well like what what shows are you have you always watched that you were like this is why I want to do this 
Um, oh my God, so many things have yeah. inspired me. On the action side, like I grew up just watching lots of Jackie Chan movies and oh, just being that. slightly obsessed with Jackie Chan. Like him in Rush Hour, the Rush Hour, I mean, they're not exactly like the height of cinema, but I remember watching that when I was really young and being like, wow, this is amazing. And really loving falling in love with Jackie Chan and then watching all of them in like Supercop and stuff. And in terms of comedy, well, like, I sort of grew up in a household where like there was a lot of love for comedy and my dad and my mom are both very funny people and also just were really into it. So we'd always be watching like Blackadder together. Um, and my dad was a big Jim Carrey fan. So there was a lot of that randomly, you know, that was, that was his thing. <laughs> and I think me personally, I got really excited when I was, you know, watching Coen brothers movies where the rhythm of the sort of comedy was just really precise I really got excited by sort of Edgar Wright's films and the way he uses the camera for the sort of comedy storytelling. But then I would also look to kind of older movies, like All About Eve is one of my all-time favourite films. Um, And I think it's just that era of American cinema where the the snappiness of the dialogue, the dialogue is so sharp. I'm just really obsessed with like dialogue, which I know cinema is like a, you know, visual medium, but I also, I I really like chatty films. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Is there a lot of comedy in your household then? You were talking about your parents. So are they quite funny themselves, quite witty? They're really funny. Ugh, I don't want to say it because then my dad's going to be like, I am, aren't I? Um, but they are. But they're both very funny and very silly. So there was just a lot of silliness growing up. And, you know, making each other laugh was kind of such a big deal. Like who could tell the funniest joke and stuff. So moving on then to We Are Lady Parts. So it's obviously, yeah, it was, it's quite um, different. And obviously the first time seeing some of these characters on screen, for sure. Um, and I kind of wondered what kind of pushback did you have? What challenges did you have? So, so the show was inspired um, in part by like my own experiences and sort of people I know and people I love. And it was so exciting for me to sort of bring them to the screen. And I felt very lucky because when we took it to Channel 4, they very quickly were keen on it and were excited to make it. So the sort of way in was was quite, you know, quite accessible because I, I just found the right people. I felt like I got lucky in that I found the right producers who would sort of champion me in what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And then, you know, Fiona at Channel 4 very quickly was interested and kind of allowed the, the blap to kind of come into existence so uh, in terms of the characters specifically then like how, how did kind of each one came about with it are they based on specific people in your in your own life or are they a kind of mix of lots of different people or is there one person you're like that is my mate um but they're aware <laughs> now that they've been based on someone it's really a mix of people okay. in like you know there's parts of myself and some of the characters you know there's some of my family members certainly that have inspired some of the characters and and friends um, and other artists, because I, you know, I was just really excited by this sort of scene of young kind of people of colour who are poets and artists and creators who are expressing like the fullness of their identity and their work and really pushing against this idea that they have to be one thing. And that's really what excited me about making We Are Lady Parts. It's like, yeah, you can be a punk, but you can also be a feminist and a Muslim and a, you know, a hijabi. You could, there's so much that you can be and you can't be just broken down into one sort of thing and that's what really excited me. Can you talk through any of the kind of highs and lows I guess of 
making the show because this is your first series that's fully yours and that I guess comes with quite a lot of hard work and quite a lot of challenge yeah the highs and the lows I think it was you know just the sort of slightly daunting nature of making my you know my own show and um was just something I kind of felt made me nervous at times but it was also just felt really right you know when you get to finally speak in your own voice and speak from your own truth and I felt so connected to that and that's what made it feel so joyful um it really felt like the first time for me I was really allowed or was able to lean into what I wanted to say and explore aspects of my identity which I didn't think I could in TV in this kind of like a a channel for comedy so it was really for me just really freeing in that respect you know it was challenging also just because we we were one of the first productions to be shooting during COVID time so there was this question of like how are we going to get through it there's a sort of unknown that sort of hung over it or could it be shut down and um, so that added a kind of stress that I don't think I've quite processed yet because we've just come out the other side of it. But, you know, I felt so lucky because I was so supported by an incredible crew and the producers and the production team just like handled all the COVID stuff. So I felt like I was really able to create what I wanted to create. And I don't feel like I had to compromise my vision at all. Yeah, the the highs, I mean, it's just like, yeah, just getting to make the thing that I wanted to make is the highest high and with the best people and the greatest cast. And, you know, my crew are awesome as well. So it's that was brilliant. Do you feel any pressure at all bringing the show to air? Is how are you feeling? Like I said, it's like going to be the first time that, that these kind of characters, that these characters are shown on TV, and that's a huge um, privilege. But I guess it comes with some pressure. I don't know how you are kind of feeling and how you manage that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, because I've spoken from a place of my own truth and my own sort of experience, I feel very confident in you know representing these people that I I know you know what really excites me is that you know hopefully it will encourage more voices and more kind of creators Mm. in the space to kind of add to the plethora of of what it means to be a person of color a brown woman a Muslim woman um you know and that's what's really exciting to be part of what I feel is a kind of a new wave of artists coming through so that's been really exciting and because I'm you know, I've been quite intentional with why I've written these characters and who I've written. So for me, it just feels like such a privilege to be able to say what I want to say, you know, in my way. You just said it will hopefully help bring more shows like this to life. I wondered why you think the kind of comedy landscape is women and again, obviously non-white women. How is that landscape? Do you feel encouraged that it's going in the right direction do you still think you know once in a blue moon kind of opportunities Mm, that's a really good question just from my experience um and from what I've seen and what I've been inspired by I feel like it's an exciting time you know both here and in the U.S. you know I was very inspired by Issa Rae's show Insecure and the way it just really expressed in the truthfulness her her identity and her culture and even, you know, I Made a Story was drama, but Michaela, you can just tell she has this sort of real kind of love of comedy, the sort of humour in there is just, it's all over it. And and I feel like we're in, there is an, it is an exciting time. I think it's still yet to be seen if this is just a kind of sort of once one off or if it's going to have lasting change. And I'm hopeful. Is there anyone else in the space that you are particularly looking on that you're admiring that are kind of coming up through the ranks at the moment? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. Someone who has inspired me just um, as a 
sort of fellow comedy writer is um, Kaiore Wumi, and he's a performer. Um, I directed his show Enterprise. So it's just someone who really expanded my own um, idea of what comedy could be, um, just because he's much more physical in his comedy, whereas I was like, oh, it's got to be all in the dialogue. So I, I'm really excited about what he does next and like how he develops um, in the comedy scene. Gosh, I'm, I mean, I'm inspired by all sorts, like poets and musicians that I like really love um, and sort of playwrights and stuff um, who are coming through. But that's I suppose that's different. But I'd say like, yeah, Michaela Cole has always been someone who I look to and she's been really kind and supportive of me as I've been making um, We Are Lady Parts as well, which has been nice. Are the opportunities, do you think, a little bit better in the US or like what do you think the split is in terms of comedy, like female comedy and just like just generally like where you're looking that you feel like your career could progress better because I really feel like I write kind of Britishy comedy British comedy but I was quite surprised when Peacock came on board to Copro and I didn't have to change my voice for them which made me kind of confident or just excited that actually my worry was like if you want to go to the states to make anything you've got to sort of change your tone or your style to kind of work for that audience but it's really not been the case or my experience at least with Peacock they've been very supportive of what I want to do and the kind of co-production with Channel 4 has also felt quite that the you know the both broadcasts have been very in tune with each other so I feel quite lucky in that and in a way that doesn't that means I don't have to choose sort of US over the UK I feel like it's sort of both now with all these sort of SVODs and stuff you can have a British show but it can also you know you can partner up with an American. Was it quite scary when Peacock came on board and you were like I thought this was just going to go out to like this many people and now all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, No it was scary when Peacock came on board less because of that more because I was just like oh no these Americans they don't know what I want to do, you know, and actually they were brilliant and really respectful and, and thoughtful in their sort of feedback and note giving. So I was, I was wrong in my assumption. Um, so that was my main, my main worry. I hadn't even got to the thinking of like the show actually coming out. I was just like, I need to write this. And who are these new people? But they were really great. I gotta say I was very lucky. And have you, has that kind of opened up doors um, to to having conversations with them? Um, at the moment, it's just finishing We Are Lady Parts. So we haven't had any further conversations. It's just still, I'm still very much in like cutting the trailer and cutting the teaser and like the, the posters. So it's it's very much still in like a kind of finishing off, you know, finishing off We Are Lady Parts. What's left to crack? What would you like to do in terms oh. of just like big, your big dream goal? <sighs> See, I... I'm really excited about doing kind of a big genre movie. I just, just love, I want to go to space um, <laughs> at some point, I think, and just do a cool original space thing. That's the thing I like, I'd love to try and, you know, write something that's sort of set in space. I'm really excited about that sky show into galactic. It looks so epic. That's something that, that excites me. I really love writing comedy. So that will always be a thing. Um, and music comedies, especially, Maybe I'll write a musical, direct a musical. I don't know. Anything that is like big genre and fun, I think. Do you want to physically go to space or are you like... I mean, really, you can shoot in space. That'd be very needed. So actually, maybe it'll work out cheaper, right? It's nice to sit down with you again after, you know, having that first experience of being, um, Mm. you know, sort of recognised at that smaller level. Um, I'm just... Yeah, I feel very lucky to be able to have created a show that I feel I was really allowed to 
sort of speak my own truth and express myself um and I'm just excited to share that really what kind of things are you being asked for do you still feel like uh, that might be a pressure I suppose to write one type of story or how are you kind of managing that or do you feel quite empowered to write whatever you want to write and it doesn't matter if it's about a certain community or a certain subject Do, do you feel liberated I've definitely felt a shift like especially since you know um, we are lady parts got picked up I feel like I'm getting really cool and really interesting offers just to direct there's so much so much great stuff being made you know really interesting genre feminist work Um, I'm so excited about Sean Robin Grace's um, show HBO show um, the baby that's going to come out like that I know is going to be brilliant so there's so much great stuff being made I'm I'm really yeah I'm really excited to just kind of keep sort of finding my own voice and I feel like I'm in a position where I'm kind of I'm now able to pitch original ideas with more confidence and I'm so and I'm getting a lot of cool like action stuff in which is really fun because I love all that um but I'm still kind of at the stage now where I've just finished a big project of like wanting to just see how I feel and what I want my next move to be before I kind of commit to what could be a you know, big chunk of time. So moving swiftly on, Max, what have you been watching this week? Yeah, I've uh, almost caught up with... Um, well, so I wanted to talk about Gods of Snooker, but Jesse uh, eclipsed me last week by talking about it. I think, think it was the, it's been the best show of the year so far. Love that show. But instead, what I've been watching this week is the, the uh, HBO drama Mayor of Easttown, which is on Sky. It's got Kate Winslet as the lead. I normally don't really like shows like that too much. It, it follows a very similar pattern of a, of a crime drama uh, taking place in like a backwater town in the US, and the lead is is a cop with a past, and then another cop turns up from a different town, and there are loads of shady suspects, and it like doesn't really break from that mold. But I just think the quality of the writing is very high, and Kate Winslet's awesome, and she's got a really good American accent, so absolutely fair play. I'm looking forward to the next couple. I think there's two left that I need to watch. I did think her American accent was great. I did struggle with it a little bit. I just found it quite like too moody, too like. Oh, it's really moody. Yeah. Too like, I don't know. I just, just, yeah, I just needed a bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, props for her accent. I'll give her that. Mm. She gets lots of props. I do want to, yeah, I wouldn't normally enjoy something like it because you, like, these things just follow a pattern, don't they? And, And once they're talking about like, Kate Winslet's background you you just know exactly where everything's going halfway through obviously she has her badge taken away from her that was just so obviously going to happen uh but then she obviously carries on fighting the case and I'm ruling it so hopefully no 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 one really wants to watch it and it's only up to episode two but th- yeah there's something a little bit different about this which which I really appreciate and it's getting great write-ups all over the press so clearly other people think so too but not you Hannah Bowler what have uh, what have you been watching not Mayor of Easttown um well actually I went to stay with my parents for the first time this year after with the pandemic rules changing and um they're big Sky Arts fans so I we watched hours of Sky Arts on Saturday night really nice content we watched I can't remember what it was called but it was this really lovely one hour documentary about live gigs and like just it had like Noel Gallagher it had like Frank Turner some other people just talking about the best gig venues in in the UK 
um, and how much they'd like miss live music. So just like that, it was simple. It was really nice. So that was really nice. And like, it just carried, like there's so many different shows that you can just kind of zone in and out to. It's just quite beautiful. So, beautiful. Beautiful. I would describe <laughs> Amazing. it as. Do, are your parents happy with the free to air move? or did They, they are so pleased with the free yeah. to air move. Yeah. They'd never, because they don't have Sky. So they have never heard of Sky Arts. Amazing. And now that's all they bang on about. <laughs> so watch that. And then ashamedly, I've been watching um, the first series of Made in Chelsea from the beginning um Very I can't different. remember why I decided to put it on but yeah it's aged strangely I would say but entertaining nonetheless Amazing. also I think everyone got a lot more um better outfits I'd say the <laughs> the first series they all look like they're stockbrokers and I think it's changed a bit now yeah they're always better at the start these reality series I think like yeah. I want to go back and watch early Towie it's better when they're not famous yeah, totally. And this feels like a lot, although it is obviously really scripted, it feels a lot less like a drama. It's just, it feels like a reality show, which is nice. So that's what I've been watching this week. Amazing. Amazing. Sky Arts plus Made in Chelsea. You've had it all. Had it all. Well, thanks, Max. It's been really great to get your um, BBC Insider insight into the Martin Bashir events of the last week and it's been nice chatting to you about bloody mayor of east town so thanks <laughs> no for coming problem. on thanks so much for having me thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap i've been hannah bowler and i've been co-hosting with max goldbart a special thanks goes to nida manzor and i'd really recommend checking out her show we are lady parts on channel four this podcast is edited by myself and you can check out all past 47 episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.